Hi, ladies. It is so good to be with you tonight. If, uh, if we haven't met before, she just told you my name. That's my name whether we've met before or not, but if we haven't met, uh, just a little bit about me. I've been working here at Salem Alliance for about 12 years now. Um, before that, I was a stay-at-home mom for 11 years, and before that, uh, and it almost feels like another lifetime ago, I was a school teacher. Um, so I taught little first, second, or third graders, depending on which year you talk to me. Uh, and I was a bilingual school teacher. So my Spanish has gotten really rusty over the years, but there was a time years ago when I was fluent in that. Um, my husband and I have been married 25 years. He's a farmer out towards Silverton. So you'll find me out in my house out there, but don't picture me on a tractor. I'm not that kind of farmer's wife. I'm like the bless them, go out the door, go do your work in the fields, kind of, I'll make sure there's food in the fridge when you get home, kind of a farmer's wife. Um, we have three kids. Josiah is 22. He graduated from college last year with a degree in accounting. He's currently working for an accounting firm in town, getting his master's degree uh, in business administration and playing one more year of basketball for Corbin University. So he has learned how to stay very busy from his mom. We'll see how that works out for his life rhythm. Uh, our second son, Titus, uh, we call him tall son because he's about six, seven. When he hugs me, his chin doesn't have to touch the top of my head. That's usually when he's feeling like a twerp. He kind of lifts it. And anyway, uh, he's in Switzerland with Youth with a Mission. It's a Christian missions organization, and uh, he's there indefinitely. So we sent him on a plane. It will at least be a year, but he's sort of choosing missions work as his life work for this season of his life. So I don't know when I get to have him back. That's kind of a weird empty nesting. Like there's college empty nesting, there's down the street empty nesting, and then there's like across the country or across the globe empty nesting. That's kind of a different type of a thing. And then we have a daughter who is 17. Uh, Abby is a senior at Western Christian school. If you're not familiar with that, it used to be called Western Mennonite. It's a tiny little uh, school out way out Wallace Road, almost all the way to uh, Dayton. So that's kind of us. That's what keeps us busy currently in our household. It's my husband, my daughter, and my dog, Lucy. Lucy's a very cute little white little puffball of cuteness and softness. Um, and that's kind of us. So uh, I'm really glad to be with you tonight. We are going to be talking about Psalm 23, verse 1. You'll be amazed how much we can figure out to say about 10 words, or I haven't counted them, however many there are. Uh, but before we dive into that, I have something that I want to say. Um, this is what kind of got put on my heart as I was watching you guys all come in and sign in and meet people and find tables. And uh, some of you I know, and some of you I've never met yet. Some of you I just met tonight. But I'm guessing that there are some of you here tonight who came with a friend, maybe you were invited, maybe you heard it in the announcements, maybe you came to Salem Alliance, you heard it in the announcements, you thought, I'll try it, thanks for having courage to come and show up. But I'm guessing there are some of you here who are kind of wondering why you're here. <laughs> why am I sitting at this table in a group full of women tonight? Like, this is kind of an odd place to be. I mean, if this isn't the kind of thing you do very often, I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of odd, isn't it? To kind of come into a room full of people and start singing. I mean, who else does that? Does anybody other than Christians just come into a room and start singing? I, I mean, I know karaoke is a thing, but anyway. So I just want to normalize that if this is your first time at something like this, it's really normal to just kind of wonder what's this all about and try to find your space and find your place. So there's two things I want to tell you. Uh, as, we, as I teach, we're going to kind of go back and forth with what we call table talk. You're going to have some time to talk around your tables, and then we'll come back up. And uh, my friend Sue is going to give her testimony and teach a little bit tonight as well. So we're going to have some back and forth. And when we're in that time called table talk, it is always okay to pass. 
It is always okay to just be part of the conversation, to glean from what others are saying, and just, I I had a friend actually who works at the church today, Uh, she works at the church always, but we were at a meeting today, and something came up, and we were playing a game, we were on a staff day away, we were doing something silly, and I said, hey, are you ready for it to be your turn? And she looked me in the eye, and she goes, do you think it's okay if I pass today? And in that moment, I saw into her heart a little bit, and she just didn't have the frivolity for a game, and it was like, yeah it's okay to pass. That's my heart for you tonight, okay? As we do table talk, uh, you, it's okay to pass. The other thing I want to say is this. The reason we're here, the reason we're doing all of this, whether you hear anything else that gets said tonight or not, is because we believe that God loves you as if you were the only person in the world to love. And that everything that's written in his word Everything that we teach and talk about here at church, everything about life with Christ and being a follower of Christ is about being a deeply loved woman in a world where sometimes it feels like it's hard to get true, authentic love for who we are and nothing else. And this is the one place where we can say without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you no matter what your background, no matter what you're facing, no matter what today was like. And that's why we're here. We'll teach on how to follow him and how to live with him and what some of his word says. There's all sorts of details and discipleship and things we go into, but the bottom line is God loves you as if you were the only person in the world to love. And he would have come if it was just you because he loves you that much. That's kind of our foundation for as we get launched tonight. Here's what I want to do really quick. I want to kick it back to your tables because we talked about what place setting we would be. Fantastic mixer, by the way, Lydia. I like that. I'm a serving spoon. I just, I feel like I got a lot of valuable things to give you. I always want you to have something that I have. And I'm, you know, I just, I just, we're just a little dollop of this and just a little dollop of that. You can have some of that. Uh, I want you to go back to your tables and just really quick, like I'm giving you max four to five minutes. That's less than a minute per person if you have, if you have a full table, Okay. So the question this time is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing today? Okay? And, like, one sentence about why. Friends, this is not coffee date with a friend, time to tell her the 10-minute version of why your number is 5, okay? This is just like, hey, today's a 3 because my kids were really rowdy. Or today's a 7 because I had a great day at work. Just like a number, and I know some of you hate numbers. You're like, don't make me say it. Just go with me here, okay? Okay? One to 10, how are you and why? And again, you're always free to pass. Seriously, I'm back up here in four minutes, okay? Ready, go. Okay, anybody a 10 out there today? It's like, okay. Sue's feeling a 10 today. Okay. Anybody, oh, there was another 10 back there. Anybody like four or under willing to tell us? It's a little low right now. It's a little rough. Okay. I appreciate that. How many of you are right smack dab in the middle? Five, six-ish. Yep. Yep. Okay. I uh, confess to my table that I am an eight, uh, not necessarily because life doesn't have its stressors. It does. Uh, But lately, God's had me on a pretty neat journey of invitation to him, and what does that look like to release burdens to him, and then watching him kind of come through has been kind of cool. So I'm going to stick with a solid eight. I also have two texts from my husband up here on my phone. Uh, that I didn't notice. It's all good. He just doesn't need me right now. We'll see. Okay. I'm going to turn that over and ignore it. He doesn't remember that I'm your speaker tonight. That I'm sure. Um, But at your next table talk, I'll find out what he needed. Okay. 
Uh, the 23rd Psalm. So the Psalms are written largely by David, although there are many authors of the Psalms. Um, and the 23rd Psalm is often called the Shepherd's Psalm because we know it was written by David, who, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament narrative and stories, um, David was one of the kings of the Israelites, but he started his life as a shepherd. He was identified as the future king, and then the current king didn't really like that, and so there was this long season of chasing in the wilderness and the desert, and guys trying to kill him, and he pretended to be insane for a while to escape from the guys who were trying to kill him. I mean, really, he probably would be about a two if we talked to him in the middle of all that, but... So David becomes king, and his, his works get recorded in the book of Psalms. The Psalms were what was their worship hymnal. The Psalms is what the Israelites sang in their worship times. So um, we've got the shepherd king who wrote the shepherd's psalm, and you, it's been well kind of unpacked in the last few months at our kickoff event, and then again in October. And so for women's ministry, we're going through the 23rd Psalm this year, and each week now we're going to have one verse. Let me just pause and say this. If you have missed a gathering, or maybe you wished you could have been at women's retreat, but you weren't there, women's ministry has a podcast um, on our website. Don't think podcasts like Morgan and somebody fun sitting in her office having a conversation and producing a podcast. It's not that kind of podcast. Although that's a really good idea, Morgan. Uh, you would be amazing at that. Yeah? Two fun people in the same room. Yeah. So not that kind of podcast, but a recording of the teachings that have happened, you can find on the women's ministry page on the Salem Alliance website. Um, the retreat ones are not up yet, but they will be. So if you're ever like, I want to hear that again, uh, go back and you can look it up and you can find it. So like if you want to hear what Morgan taught last month about um, Psalm 23, you could go back and listen to that. Okay. So here's the first verse of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. You've got a little card on your table. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Little variation of the translation. There's, there's some, one of them says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. So uh, tonight what we're going to do is we're going to divide this in two. And we're gonna, I mean, did you think you could divide one verse into two? But you can. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to, that the Lord is my shepherd and this imagery of shepherd in the Bible. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what does it mean to actually believe and not just believe with our head, but let that knowledge go to our heart that I have everything I need. That while I may have a want here or a want there, I shall not be in want. I shall not exist in want because I have a shepherd who is watching out for my needs, okay? So I just want to unpack a little bit about shepherds uh, in the Bible, and then I'm going to kick it back to you guys again at your tables for some table talk. So we, most of us know the story when Jesus came as a baby, right, at Christmas, uh, who were the ones who announced his birth? Angels to who? To the shepherds. And then the shepherds went where? 
to worship him and into Bethlehem and to tell the good news that the angels had come and said that a king had been born to them and he is Christ the Lord. Now, this story is often told and and the historical um, background that we've all been given is that shepherds were sort of the lowest of the low. And so for the angels to appear to the shepherd was God's beginning to sort of um, point out and foreshadow that Jesus' death on the cross would be for everyone, that there's no differences at the foot of the cross. But as I began to lean into this and kind of do a little bit of research and read and stuff, I found several people who talked about shepherds actually having a fairly high standing in society. And I thought, well, which is it? Is it low standing or high standing? And I don't know. And I'm a little nervous because Barbara and Jane are sitting right there tonight and they probably know. (laughs) I'm teasing. I'm not nervous because of you two. And if you don't know Barbara and Jane, uh, they are the pioneers of women's ministry here at Salem Alliance and deep mentors in my life. So... Thrilled to have you here tonight. Here's what I found. Uh, In ancient times, shepherds actually were quite uh, notable and wealthy because they had, in an agrarian society, they had huge flocks and their huge flocks gave them wealth. So if you think about Abraham, Abraham was a shepherd and yet he was a wealthy man who built, who through God built a nation, right? It tells us that Moses was a shepherd. He was out watching his father-in-law's flocks when the Lord spoke to him through the burning bush. And we know that David, who became a king, was a shepherd. So this role, while it was uh, maybe lonely out in the hills, uh, maybe solitary, uh, it wasn't necessarily a frowned upon um, profession. Now, later in ancient history, they say that Aristotle is the one who kind of turned the corner on seeing shepherds differently. I honestly am not a theologian to know that well enough. I just know that somewhere in there, it shifted to where shepherds weren't as respected. But when it, you look back all the way to ancient biblical history, you see, oh, there were some people of upright standing who were shepherds, which makes a little bit more sense of God giving us a metaphor of a shepherd to understand himself, right? The Lord is my shepherd. What does it mean to have a shepherd? So if I'm a sheep and I um, am a little bit stupid, (laughs) but I have needs for life, what are my needs for life as a sheep? I need food, water, protection, shelter, okay? So the shepherd provided all of that. The shepherd led the flock to where they would find their food. The shepherd had a a rod and a staff and a defense. And David tells stories about the bear and the lion. And I can't quite picture somebody defeating a lion or a bear with a stick, but apparently David did. Um, I mean, so shepherds were also really buff. Do you still say that? They they were very muscular. I don't know what the right term is now, but... um, So you've got protection. You've got your guidance. You've got your... um, You've got your place of community, sort of, right? I think about the parable where he talks about the one, uh, the lost sheep, right? And I think if, if we think of something that we have, if, if you and I had 100 pennies and we lost a penny, first of all, would we know we lost the penny? And second of all, would we spend much time looking for it? Probably not. And yet in this series of parables, um, Jesus tells a parable about a lost coin that's worth um, a lot and how the, the woman searched her whole house to find the coin. And then he tells this parable of a sheep. And he says, if any of you had a hundred sheep and lost one, wouldn't you go and look for your lost sheep? And I thought, 
Okay, what's one sheep out of a hundred? And yet, for Jesus asking that, he expected them to know the answer. Of course you would go and look for the one sheep. Sheep were your livelihood, but they were also your responsibility. And it was your job to care for them and take care of them. And so, and so a shepherd would go and find that one lost sheep and bring that lost sheep back. There's a worship song that we sing. It's called, Oh, the overwhelming never end. What, what is it? Reckless. I just wanted to go with relentless. And I knew it wasn't relentless love. Thank you, Tina. It was reckless love. I bet you could. It's a good song. So there's a line, there's a line in there that says, he leaves the 99. And I have to tell you that that line wrecked me. It absolutely wrecked me because um, my story is that I was raised in the church. I think my first time at church was when I was about three weeks old. Um, I knew about Jesus my whole life. I decided to be a Christ follower when I was five, and I have spent a long time being a very good Christian girl, you guys, and yet I'm human, and I have limitations and struggles, and I don't have very much patience or grace for my struggles, but you know what? My shepherd does. My shepherd has a lot of grace for my struggles. And when I leave, when I'm gone, when I'm lost, he doesn't write me off and go, it's only one out of a hundred, it's fine. I'm so valuable to him that he would leave the 99 to make sure that he knew where I was. And here's the deal. I didn't think that I should need finding. Go with me here for a second. If I'm doing a good job being a Christian, obeying God, following his word, doing what the Bible says, trusting in God, having faith and believing, then should I be lost? And if I am lost, haven't I done something wrong? And if I've done something wrong, then I don't deserve to be found. I don't deserve to be sought after. I don't deserve to be run after. And so one time when I was singing that song and I was just, you know, singing, I mean, we do this, right? We come and we sing. It's, it, it's weird, but we do it. And, and I was, oh, it leaves the 99. And I was like, Ugh. he leaves the 99 for me. And here, I don't even think I deserve to be searched for. And, but he wants to search for me. This is the heart of a shepherd. This is what it means when it says the Lord is my shepherd. Not only is he your protector and your provider, your comforter, but he's your defender and he will seek after you. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I came to seek and save those who are lost. This is the heart of the shepherd, the shepherd king, the God who says, I am your shepherd. I want you to think of me as a shepherd. This is a metaphor that's used over and over in scripture, is a metaphor of care, of comfort, of protection, and of love, of love. Probably one of the most famous New Testament passages about Jesus as our shepherd is found in the book of John when the disciple who Jesus loved was reminding us of the things that Jesus taught. And so in John chapter 10, it says this. There's a lot in there. If you want to read the whole thing, that's good stuff in there. But I'm starting in verse, well, I can't read the verses because the numbers are too small, but the letters I can read. So it's somewhere around 14 or 16. It starts with a one and ends with a squiggly shape. Okay. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. 
just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. That's us, you guys. We're the sheep from another flock. We're in the metaphor. We're in the story. We're the sheep that he said he would come for so that we would know him as our shepherd, so that he would know our name and we would know his voice and we would follow him. This is what it means to have a shepherd king. Okay, so the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Here's what I want you guys to talk about at your tables, and you're going to have about 10 minutes for this one, okay? Um, and you may, this may not work, I just thought, oh, this would be interesting. What modern day equivalent does a shepherd remind you of, and why? So think through these characteristics, protector, provider, defender, seeker, comforter, and just think about, is there a modern day equivalent to a shepherd? And then just put that in the blank. The Lord is my blank. Because if we can make this connection from a biblical concept of a shepherd, which isn't something that you and I really talk about that often, to an occupation or a person or a character trait that makes more sense, we can anchor into our hearts a little bit more personally what it is that it means when it says, the Lord is my shepherd. So if you have a word to fill in that blank, that's what that's for. And then the third question is, how does your understanding of a shepherd shape your understanding of God? Okay, so about 10 minutes and I will be back up here. And again, feel free to pass, but enjoy this conversation at your tables. Uh, I want to introduce to you my friend, Sue Ritchie. Sue's been hanging around women's ministries things for how many years now, Sue? Since 2016, so that's like seven years or something, and she's been sharing her wisdom in little bits and pieces, and tonight we asked her if she would come and share with us on this portion of the psalm. So Sue, we're so glad to have you. Thank you. Okay. So thank you for having me. Hopefully you can hear me through my mask. Um, okay, is that good? Everybody can hear me? Okay. Um, they asked me to share a little bit about Psalm 23 and um, a little bit of my own testimony. So when I looked at Psalm 23, I looked at different translations. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I have to ask myself, really? Can I really say that? Can I say that I don't want? That I have all I need? That I lack nothing? Seriously? And maybe you ask that same question. Maybe in your marriage there's conflict and you don't want? Or you lost a job and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. You have everything you need? Or your child has gone off the rails and you're at your end wits. You lack nothing? No matter what we are facing, is it realistic to say that? How can we say that? Is it even possible? I think it is. In Psalm 23... David states that he lacks nothing. But if you look at David's life, 
he is one out of the, he's the one that is out in the field with the sheep. He is the one who is forced to live in a cave while his life is being threatened. He is the one who has to fight in wars. So how is it that he can say that he lacks nothing? And what about Paul? He gets beaten and stoned. He gets thrown into jail. He gets in a shipwreck. He goes without food. He often finds himself running for his life. How can he state, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What was the secret? What is it that both David and Paul knew that allowed them to be content, to be at peace, to face all things that came their way and yet still feel like they lacked nothing? I believe that they understood and knew in their heart that God was their source for everything. We live in a world that makes you feel like you lack We live in a world that makes you feel that you need to meet all your needs. If you only had a job, if you could only fix this relationship, if you could only lose that weight, if you could only be healthy, then you would lack nothing. Life would be good. And then we proceed to try to acquire those things. We fill out the applications, we seek counseling, we go on a diet, We go see all the specialists, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And none of those things are bad. Actually, a lot of them are good. But what happens when you do all that and you still come up empty? Can you, like David, say you lack nothing? How can you be like Paul and say you've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation? We live in a fallen world, and as a result, we find ourselves in situations where we face many hardships. I am learning that no matter what life throws at me, I have all I truly need from God. In April of this year, I was diagnosed with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, It is where you have scar tissue form in your lungs and it will continue to form until oxygen is no longer able to pass through my lungs to my body and I basically will suffocate to death. Only one in 100,000 people get this and they don't know why, nor do they have a cure or any medicine to make it better It's terminal. They only have one medicine that will actually slow it down a little bit. Yet despite this diagnosis, God has helped me find a sense of peace and contentment. The source of that contentment comes from believing and trusting God. Paul states, I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. When facing things where my lack seems insurmountable, I continually need to remind myself of who God is. Even this weekend, I learned a new way to be content in my weariness and my weakness, knowing that it's okay and God has my back. Each time I face a situation, no matter what it is, I have to remind myself who he is, that he is love and he loves me, to know that he provides to know that he takes care of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, and he will take care of me. To know that he will not give me a rock when I ask for a loaf of bread. To know that he is the God who can part the seas and move mountains. That he is the God who can turn water into wine. That he can change the heart's of not only kings, but men. He is the God who can transform people and situations. He is the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has no limit, and all the resources are his to give. He is the one who loved me enough to endure the cross so that I could have life with him. So that I have the promise of heaven where there is no pain or sickness or death, where there is no evil or need, where there is light and love for eternity. And not only does he meet my needs in heaven, but he meets them here and now. I have been in awe over and over as God has stepped in when I was feeling at my very lowest. I remember one day in particular when I was truly feeling down and very overwhelmed. When out of a blue, an old friend called and said, hey, I have this timeshare with these dates at the Oregon coast. Would you and Duane like to use it? And we were able to go to the beach and get away from the doctors and all the medical issues and just relax and have a time away from the stress and the major decisions that we were having to make. It was so very needed and was truly heaven sent. It lifted my spirits just at the right time when I thought I couldn't go any further. There have been days where I just needed to talk and process what was happening. And someone came to me and they just opened the door for me to come to them whenever I needed. I never would have asked them, but the invitation came because God knew I needed it. And it was very needed and very much appreciated. Again, that was heaven sent. Over and over, on particularly hard days, I have received a phone call or a note of encouragement or a text with a verse that I could hang on to, or a link to a song that would lift my spirits. When I was having things being denied by the insurance company, 
and was having to jump through 50,000 hoops and they kept saying no, my very busy doctor stepped in and put in an hour of his time to make sure it would happen. That was heaven sent. When the medication I needed was getting caught up in limbo and we were having trouble getting it delivered and we'd made dozens and dozens of calls, the palliative nurse stepped in, straightened it out, and now it comes regularly without having to make any calls. That was heaven sent. At every turn, God has provided. Perhaps not always in the way I was hoping, but certainly in the way it was needed. And I can say like David, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. When I was telling my friend how much it meant to me when God stepped in and how God was using people in my life to lift my spirits, she reminded me how important it is when God prompts our hearts to make that phone call, to make that meal, to send that card, whatever it is he's asking you to do for someone, what a difference it can make. You may never realize the depth of the impact you are making or how much it means to the person on the receiving end. Sometimes it's a lifeline that they need so that they can carry on. And God wants to use you to deliver his love to them. So listen to those promptings. Hear his voice and act on it. You can make a difference. And if you're on the other end, the one facing the hardships, the one who has the struggles, remember who God is. He said, in this world, we will face trouble, but he has overcome the world. He will not give you a stone when you ask for a loaf of bread. He knows every hair on your head. He knows all your thoughts and what's going through your heart. He knows every tear you have shed he will be your comforter. He will be your provider. Your provision may not be what you're asking for, but your every need will be met. You will lack nothing. I may not have received the healing that had been prayed for, but God has provided at every turn, and even death has lost its sting. I'm not afraid of dying. It's the time between now and then that's hard. But I know that he will be my strength. I even told my husband, if we really believed what the Bible said about heaven, I'm surprised that we're all not going, me, me, me next, when God wins my turn. Right? Because what a wonderful place heaven is. If we really believe it. God will be my strength. I know he will give me the grace I need to be content and I will truly lack nothing because he will provide even in those times when I have no strength of my own to even utter a prayer. His spirit will be there to pray for me. He will provide and I will lack nothing. I pray that as you face whatever hardship is before you, whether it's financial relational, health, or something totally else, that you will have the ability to see God's faithfulness and to know his great love for you. To look to him 
for all your needs. Because when you do, you will lack nothing. Thank you, Sue. Stay here. Uh, Sue is a precious daughter of the king, and Sue has the heart of a prayer warrior. And so, Sue, I wonder, Vlanda, we have another song, yes? As Vlanda comes up to lead us in our final song, would you pray for these women? I know you just stated a prayer, but would I, just, I would love you to just take a moment and pray for these women, and then I want to pray for you. Lord God, I just want to praise you and thank you. You are our all in all. It is you who gave us the breath of life. It is you who has a plan for each woman in this room. I pray that as they walk through this life, as things get thrown at them and life takes the turns that they're not expecting, that you would be their strength, that you would remind them of your faithfulness that you will help them to fix their eyes on you and that you would give them all the grace they need to allow you to work in their lives and proclaim your goodness because truly you are good. In Jesus' name. And Father, we just thank you for our sister Sue. We thank you for her beautiful life, for her beautiful testimony of standing with Paul and saying, I have everything that I need, that God gives me strength for what I need. So thank you, Lord. And we just want to lift her up now as she walks through some difficult days and as she just so honestly said, death does not scare her. The things between now and then are daunting. And so we just pray that you would give strength and comfort and care. Would you continue to bring people and notes and moments that remind her that you see her and that you're with her and that you have not abandoned her, that you love and care for her. Thank you for the newfound freedom she found even this weekend to say, all I can do is curl up with Jesus and that's the extent of my energy and that that's an okay place to be. So we just pray that you'd carry our dear friend. Thank you for her word tonight and would you let this word go out and bear fruit. Um, You say that your word spoken does not come back empty. And so we just pray that it would not come back empty, but there would be those who'd be, uh, remember the words. Lord, I pray that you would help us, like Sue, to notice your goodness in our lives. It's easy to notice the hard stuff, God. It's harder to notice the good things. And so would you give us each a mind and a heart of gratitude to notice and appreciate where you've showed up in, in big and small ways. In your name, Jesus, amen.